Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Champions Cast here on ZeldaDungeon.net. My name is Andy Spateri, and I am joined for a very special episode this week by Taylor Wells and Kat the Dam. How are you guys doing today? Good. Yeah, doing pretty well. Well, I'm glad to hear that. We've got a very, very, very special episode for you guys this week. If you didn't know, it's the anniversary of a little game that we like to call the greatest game ever made, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. So we are going to be talking about that, the different parts of the game that uh, helped define us as gamers, and sharing some personal stories with you about it. So very excited to dive deep into that game this week. Um, obviously, all three of us, I think, would say that this is our favorite Zelda game, probably our favorite game, period. Am I right? Absolutely. Yep. For sure. Buckle in, everybody, because we are going to be talking about everything Ocarina of Time 20 years ago. Can you believe it? 20 years ago, and this game just still feels absolutely incredible. I think now all of us officially just feel old. Old, exactly. That's what I was thinking. (laughs) Well, I mean, to be fair, we are old, old. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't make me feel any better, Andy. (laughs) (laughs) You also look like you're about 12 years old, so... That's the only thing I have going for me, though. Alright, so before we get into Ocarina of Time, I just want to quickly go over some uh, some news for this week and just uh, throw some stuff out there. Um, first of all, I, I think it's only right that we pay our respects to Stan Lee, who passed away at the age of uh, 95 this last week. Um, obviously, everybody listening to this knows who Stan Lee was and what he did, what he created, what he meant to everybody, so... Just wanted to give him a uh, a shout out and uh, and rest in power, my friend. Excelsior! Yeah, he was an amazing man. Uh, you know, one thing that uh, that really made me smile is when I was playing Spider Man for PS4. Um, there's a there's a Stanley cameo in that game, and it was it was so it was so great. Uh, I actually like cheered and. You know, when I see the Stanley cameos in the Marvel movies, I think they're neat, but like they kind of, you know, they, they lose their appeal a little bit. But I saw the cameo in this in the Spider-Man game, and I just thought it was the coolest thing. And then that ended up being, you know, unfortunately probably the last cameo that that we'll see of his. And I think that it was a really great, like final, uh, final thought. It was it was a really me, good so. cameo considering like it had that personal touch and where. He was kind of speaking more towards the audience than he was anybody else. And uh, to as to the the last cameo though, um, I think he filmed some of some of his for the new for the last few uh, Avengers movies or Marvel movies. Yeah, maybe. But Hopefully, I saw either a way. Really, really sad. One. I saw a really sad thing that was just basically we've officially reached the time where we are getting to a point where we will see the very last Stan Lee cameo and it kind of came out of the blue. It was, it was just like, Oh wow. Yeah. Oh. I mean, to be fair, he was, you know, 95 years old. Oh yeah. So absolutely. Quite a, quite a full and, and enriching life, you know? So I, I'm like, while I'm obviously sad that he's gone and you know, his, his influence on, or his direct influence on on Marvel and, and comics in general is over. It, it, you know, like his lasting legacy will live on, I think, forever. Oh, absolutely. 
Obviously, his legacy will live on as long as those characters he created live on, and those guys are going to live forever. I would say so. even longer than those characters just because of his influence in comic books. It's going to keep living on even if we don't see his his name or his characters' names. Right. You know, it's it's an amazing thing what he did and, you know, what what he continues to do even even after his death. Rest in peace, my friend. So actually, about an hour before news broke of Stanley's passing, uh, we're going to flip to something a little bit, uh, a little bit happier. The trailer for Detective Pikachu came out, <laughs> and how awesome does this look? That was so funny. Like <laughs> when I when I first saw that trailer, I, the whole way through, I was just thinking, "Oh man, how is Josh going to feel about this?" <laughs> I saw that, and I was like, "So this is a joke, right?" Everybody that didn't love that trailer, what's wrong with you? Come on, like, that looks so good. It looks so silly. The Pokemon look awesome. I can't wait for, for Detective Pikachu. It really does. And I don't know if you you were aware or saw this before, but, like, there was this there was this artist who was doing um, a bunch of, like, what, what Pokemon would look like in, if they were in real life. And that yeah. artist, or, or one of those artists, got hired for that movie. Oh, that's and awesome. And so... Yeah, so when I saw the the like more realistic Pokemon than we expected, I was actually quite blown away. Like, yeah, some of them looked a little odd, but it worked, and it wasn't. I I felt it wasn't bad. I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I remember uh, a couple years ago checking out his uh, his DeviantArt account and Tumblr account and stuff like that, and checking out all of his realistic Pokemon. If anybody hasn't seen them, you should check them out because they look so cool. And there's like. It's like an actual like dinosaur looking Venusaur and uh, the Gyarados. And Gyarados, the Gyarados is really cool. I don't actually um, think I've seen it. I kind of I want to go find this it's now. So cool! You have to. It's so good. Uh, yeah, and I, I forget the guy's name, but he just tweeted out that uh, he indeed got hired on to do some concept art for that movie. So really cool story there. Um, not a really cool story for anybody hoping for an N64 classic. The big Reginator himself has uh, pretty much shot those rumors down. Did an interview uh, with Kotaku last week and gave us two tidbits of news. A, no N64 classic, sorry. But to counteract that, B, Metroid Prime 4 is well into development, <laughs> so that is pretty cool. And Andy the fanboy I is extremely happy. I mean, to be fair, like Metroid is a is a pretty huge draw across the board. Oh, so yeah. it's not just going to be Andy who's who's super happy about that, but I mean, at the end of the day, like an N64 classic would be great and and fun and all, but it's definitely not something I I need. Give us a virtual <laughs> console. Yeah, yeah I, I, would I would agree with that. Yeah. All right, last piece of Zelda news before we get rolling here. Um the producer of the Netflix Castlevania anime had been teasing and teasing and teasing that he was making this big news series based on an iconic Japanese property. We all thought it was going to be Zelda. Turns out it's Devil May Cry. Yeah. That sound right there is a big wet fart because nobody likes Devil May Cry. Nobody cares about Devil oh, May Cry. Oh, hold on. I don't know about hold that. Hold on. 
Yeah, that's a big... The, the defender of bad opinions himself is in to tell you that everybody loves Devil May Cry. No, no, no Nobody not likes everybody. Devil May Cry after number three. Not everybody likes Devil May Cry, but it's not a bad series. And one of the more recent ones, which I can't remember the name of it, but or which which number it was, but um, the, there, was, there was one really recently that actually started like having promise to it. Yeah, Start. I agree that the series kind of started going downhill after three, but like they're starting to pick up again. And from the trailer of the new one, I actually am kind of excited to see uh, what they're where they're going next with with Devil May Cry. So, an animated series. You know what? I'll 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 give you this. Um, I was just like, ah, Devil May Cry after the original trilogy. Like this, this is over. This is going to be a product of its time. But I said the same thing about God of War, and I'm playing the new God of War right now, and it's freaking awesome. So, see, there can be maybe a they could do that with Devil May life. Cry, but I don't, I don't think so. I'm sorry, it, I have to I say think the it. Big point. I have to say it. Um, started to have promise isn't exactly a ringing endorsement, there, Taylor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to endorse it. What I'm saying is, started is that to not the, be terrible. Yeah, it started to not is, suck. <laughs> well, because of how bad it was after the trilogy, and you know, to how to finally start, you know, coming out of that, which is a hard thing to do in the video game industry. When you when you release a bomb in a well loved series and it's super super bad, you lose a lot of interest in that series, as evidenced by Andy. So that's why I phrased it that and, way. And. Uh, Devil May Cry Four. I want to say it came out ten years ago too. At this point, and there haven't been any game. Have there been any games in between? Yeah, isn't. Oh yeah, they had that. They had that stupid remake, the DMC remake, right? Yeah. Yeah. But he, the big point, I think, though, is that the it's that director who basically made the most well adapted video game adaptation ever. Not saying much. I, there's still some there's some good ones out there. For example, like the first Mortal Kombat movie was was solid. Call me lame, but I kind of liked the first Silent Hill. The second one was terrible, but the first one was actually pretty a pretty decent horror movie. Oh, I never saw the Silent Hill films. I should probably do that. Eh. Uh, we're going again with ringing endorsements here. Don't go in with high expectations if you've played the game because it definitely does take massive liberties with the story, but. I liked the I first mean, I'm one. I'm one of those guys that enjoyed per- Prince of Persia as well. Oh, so fair I enough. Don't <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with that movie. Yeah, see, it was an alright movie. It was, it was good. It wasn't like you know the best ever video game adaptation, but it was good for what it was. I don't know if I'd say it was good. It wasn't bad. How about that? Uh, Andy, we're gonna have to school you in the art of positive. <laughs> uh huh. Let's get into the reason why we're here. The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. It's been 20 years. 20 years since this game came out. And almost to the day, uh, we're going to be releasing this on the 19th. It came out on the 21st of November. So let that sink in. November 21st, 1998. How old were you guys back then? Uh, Can we not talk about that? (laughs) I was 10. You don't have to talk about it. I was 10. I was eight. I know a lot of our listeners weren't even born yet. So, <laughs> yikes. It, it definitely makes you feel old, but it also just, it makes me appreciate that, you know, 20 years later, we're still talking about this game. Um, 
I, I feel like there's a very select handful of games that have the kind of lasting impact that Ocarina of Time has, and you know we're we're gonna be we're gonna be here to honor that game this episode, and we're gonna be talking about some of our experiences, and we want it to be we're actually launching an Ocarina of Time themed week over at Zelda Dungeon, so we're gonna have all sorts of different um, Ocarina of Time themed editorials, features, etc. going on, so. You know, come and celebrate with us. Head over to the site and check all that good stuff out. But let's get it started. Let's uh, let's crank it back twenty years and let's talk about our history with the game. Where did we first get it? Where did you first remember playing it? How old were you? Walk us through the first time that you picked up that magical three pronged N sixty four controller and started playing what would go on to be our favorite game ever. Oh man, so I actually didn't wind up getting it in 98. I think I got it a couple years later. Um, it was either in 2000 or 2002. So I would have been 12 or 14. Um, but I had, to that point, I had only ever played from the Zelda series Link's Awakening. And I knew that I loved that game and I knew there was a lot more and I had gone through and like learned a little bit more about um, the previous Zelda games and that this new game had come out a couple years ago and it was called Ocarina of Time. And so I, I had been talking about it and talking about it and finally went and picked up an old N64, um, a secondhand N64 and the game and I sat down and oh my gosh it was absolute love at at first play <laughs> um yeah I, I absolutely fell in love with the game almost immediately and even though like I've, I've never been very very good with video games I've always had like problems with like reaction time and hand-eye coordination and like just trying to get everything to function together for me to be able to play games but like even the frustrations that came with all of that like drove me forward and kept me going I absolutely loved it now that's a ringing endorsement <laughs> if I can if I can come out of the game saying yes it frustrated me and it angered me but I loved it and I couldn't give up on it and I kept going yeah I mean, that that was huge for me. That sounds a lot like Dark Souls, honestly. <laughs> I think I would probably break any console I played Dark Souls on if I ever gave it a shot. I, um, I picked up this game when I was, uh, like eight and a half years old. Um, no, actually I would be eight, eight and three quarters because birthday's in January. Um, but I was in a good guys, which is kind of like a general it's like a general electronics slash music store uh here in the u.s i don't know if it's anywhere else but they're they're kind of like dying out there's only a few left in uh in la but that being said they had a they had ocarina of time on a demo n64 console there and my babysitter was with me at the time and she had something to do and and good guys that took like 45 minutes so i just sat there just playing that demo over and over which basically consisted of you uh, starting on starting the game and being in Kokiri Forest and figuring out what to do, and I just got so lost in it because 
you know, I, I opened the game. I played Zelda before. My first Zelda was Legend of Zelda uh, back in 1994. Um, again, introduced to it through my babysitter and my brother. Uh, and then I played Link to the Past, Adventure of Link, and Link's Awakening later. Um, but again, because of my age, like, it was... It wasn't something I threw myself into because I didn't quite understand what I was playing yet. But uh, when I got to Ocarina of Time at age 8, like, all of a sudden I started understanding a lot more of those concepts and a lot more of what Zelda was. And just experiencing that forest and that, that beautiful uh, 3D that I hadn't seen Zelda in, in ever was was incredible. And... Um, I managed to persuade my babysitter, my mom, <laughs> later to let me uh, let me get it. You know, I have a somewhat similar story about playing a demo, but it wasn't for Ocarina of Time. Um, I was at Zeller's. Do you guys have Zeller's in the States? Mm, not that I can think I, of. I, I want to say yes, because it sounds familiar, but I can't confirm that off the top they're, of my head. They're out of business now. Um, they shut down. Actually, they shut down in all the Targets when uh, they tried to come into Canada, came and bought them out, and then Target lasted about a year and left. Anyways, so I was at Zeller's, and I was playing uh, a demo of, I think it was Mario 64. And, uh, you know, at, at that point, I'd only ever played Super Nintendo, so I'm trying to move with the uh, with the D-pad, and Mario's not moving. I was like, oh, this sucks. And I uh, had no idea that you had to use the analog stick in the middle to move him. So I ended up leaving there, but... Uh, I'm going to rewind it back to November of 98, and I was at my aunt's house, and my cousin had an N64, and I didn't have one yet, and I was super bitter, and I was super upset. Um, so he had an N64, and uh, and I didn't yet, and so he had just got Ocarina of Time. And I had I'd kind of like watched him play a little bit, but I hadn't actually played myself. So... I remember um, I used to stay there before before and after school. So he, he was doing something, and I went down, and I sat down, and I played Ocarina of Time. And so I was 10 years old, and when I played it, I was like, I was like, oh, this is cool. There's a little fairy. There's a little, there's a little Link or whatever. And I had never played Zelda before. This is my first Zelda game, so I really didn't know what the heck Legend of Zelda was. So I'm sitting there playing, and I probably only played for about 10 minutes, and then I left. And then I played for another 10 minutes the next day, and then I left. And then I played for another 10 minutes the next day. So fast forward to Christmas, and I get my own N64, complete with Diddy Kong Racing um, and Ocarina of Time. So I start to play Ocarina of Time, and I remember booting it up and just just sitting down and playing. And I was just like, you know, it, it's kind of cliche to say now, but it's like, that first time that you hit Hyrule Field, it's like, whoa. Especially to a 10-year-old kid playing, it's just like, whoa. I, I, you know, and, it, and it took me a while to get there. It, I, it took me a while to, to complete the Deku Tree. But, you know, it, it all started from going into my cousin's N64 room, whereas that was his computer room back at the time, because everybody had a computer room back then, and sitting down and playing it in little in little spurts. Until finally, I, I begged my mom and dad for my own copy. And that was how it happened. You know, I want to start a petition now to rename Young Link to uh, Little Link. Oh my god, I would sign that. So, I'm playing Ocarina of Time. And I hit Hyrule Field. And 
I'm just like, wow, this is this is incredible. And then the sun sets and the sun comes back up. And I'm just like, this is incredible. But it wasn't until a little bit further into the game that I think I just had that like defining moment as a gamer. And I want to tell you this this story. I've actually written about it on the site before, but I'm going to tell it again. So I'm playing Ocarina of Time, and before before when I played video games, you know, I'd played Super Mario World, I'd played uh, Super Metroid, I'd played Diddy Kong Racing, GoldenEye, Mario 64, etc. When I played those games, I, I kind of thought is like playing video games is just like a fun thing to do. Like every video game was like just a whatever, right? Like you play it for a few hours, it, it was a casual thing to do. I could feel that transforming when I was playing Ocarina of Time into this this video game is more than just, you know, stupid button mashing. It is it's a story, there is an arc, there is purpose, and I think that really hit me when I walked into the Forest Temple for the first time. And I don't know why it was the Forest Temple, but I will never forget walking in there the first time and then the music and the drums kind of rising up with you. And then, you know, I, I'm just like, wow, this is, this is so magical. It, it's so, uh, it, it, it's, it's unbelievable. And I'm walking in and like, it, it, I seem to be walking in slow motion. You had the four ghosts pop up and like all the different colors and, and those drums from the music, the rising and falling of it to, to a 10 year old kid. This is just, you know, it's just like, holy moly. Like this is, this is what video games can be. This is what, you know, video games should be is what I'm experiencing right now. It, it was, it was almost just like, like that was the time where I really, I stopped thinking of, of me playing as Link. And I was like, this is me playing as, as me. Like I have to save Hyrule and I have to, to make things right in this forest temple. And you know what I mean? It was, it was such a powerful moment for me that it pretty much changed the way that, I perceived video games irreversibly. The whole world quaked in fear at the moment everybody said, it's up to Andy to save the world. <laughs> We're all doomed. That's when Spateri <laughs> became a gamer right there. <laughs> We're all doomed. Little did we know the rest of our futures had been completely changed. <laughs> and you know what? I still kind of get those feels whenever I go back into the Forest Temple if I'm playing Ocarina of Time. Like, Still today, when when I walk in, I remember playing that, and I'm just like, wow. You know, it, it still just gives me the chills. You know, it's funny, because Ocarina of Time, I think, it's one of the few few games or few things in life that actually makes me believe in fate, you know? Well, it definitely shaped ours. If If fate does exist, it definitely shaped all of ours. This game was fated to change our lives. Obviously, it's it's probably fair to say that this game led us to this moment right here. Three people at, working at a Zelda website <laughs> talking about this Zelda game 20 years after the fact. Oh, without oh, question. Yeah. And you know what? Zelda Dungeon has been a big part of my life for the last two years. So, it, And it all goes back to Ocarina of Time and how that brought us here. And, and not only like led us to a website, but it... It led us to a bunch of friends, you know, new new people that we wouldn't have otherwise met. Um, like Kat, you're my friend. Taylor, nah, not so much. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's 
It comes and goes. It, it, it's it's crazy to day. think how that one video game can just kind of branch off into all of, all of this and how it can just change the course of of kind of who you are. That one moment. It's a very very phenomenal. So that that's my personal story about Ocarina of Time. Taylor, I know that you have uh, something that you wanted to share as well. Oh, uh well yeah, I mean again, this is something I kind of touched on when I wrote the Navi article for Companion Week. And I, I kind of touched on it there. Um, at the time that Ocarina came out, I was going through a lot, lot of personal issues between, you know, my parents separating. Um, There's that, and then, you know, of course, getting diabetes. So all that happening in really one year when I was about seven. So Ocarina of Time came out, you know, just just in the midst of me having to deal with all of that. And it was such, such a, like, revolution is kind of the wrong word, but it, it changed so much for me. I don't think that I would have, A, been the same person having not played it and ex- and gotten to get my hands on it at, at that time of my life, but also just help me get through it and learn and become a better person. It was it was such a game. Like the fantasy of it allowed me to escape the trouble that I was dealing with. But at the same time having a character who was close to my age and again this is why I like Young Link. It has nothing to do with your fantasies, Andy. But, uh, like, I identified so much with him, and it felt like I was him, and I was able to challenge, you know, my life, and I was able to challenge, take on the challenges of that and succeed at it, because if I could do it as Link, I could do it in real life, too, and so it taught me a lot of life lessons. I'm not crying, you're crying. <laughs> Kat, you have any personal personal stories about Ocarina of Time? I do, actually. Um, it's not quite to the level of of Taylor's, but um, and it's not so much like the story of Ocarina itself, um, so much as a character. And so growing up as, growing up as a young girl, you know, you're faced with a bunch of a bunch of different challenges where you know, I mean, look at Mario. Peach was in a different castle. You had to save her. She needed your help. Looking at a bunch of different stories that I was told and that I heard and the, the society that I grew up in as a young girl, I was, I was always told, you're a girl, you're less, you're the victim. And then, you know, having played Link's Awakening, Zelda wasn't even in it. So I wasn't you know, familiar with her character. And then when I went back and looked at the previous games, it was more of the princess needs your saving, you know, she needs you. And then I got to Ocarina of Time. And I remember the first time that she turned around and I went, oh, this is her, this is Zelda. Okay. And then she talked about how 
she's doing what she can to stop evil. But, you know, she needs help. And that's okay. And I realized that this was the first time that I was seeing a female character basically saying, yeah, I got this. I could use your help. That'd be great if you could. I'm doing what I can over here, but I can't be everywhere. And it's just like, it, it was this moment of, as a girl, I don't have to be powerless. I don't have to be the victim. And ever since that moment, Zelda's been my favorite character because, like in any game, and it is because ever since Ocarina, she's never really come off as the kind of character that stands back and just takes it. She's always been the one that's just going to be like, I'm going to deal with this. You go take care of this now. And that was just really empowering. It's funny that you mentioned that because, like, it, I don't know if it was just a thing a few years ago because of kind of like the rise of, you know, uh, like the feminist movement and stuff and, and trying to bring equal rights you know, more into line with uh, men and women. And there were, there were like, always these comments going floating around and how, uh, like, Zelda was always a victim and that she was never, like, she never has any power in any of the games and that kind of stuff. And I was like, did... Did, did you, you not play, play the games? The games? <laughs> like, <laughs> Zelda has always been, like, a powerful figure in her own way. Exactly. Like, it's not, she's not... Over, she's not like Ganondorf running around blowing blowing things up, but like she was like for example Breath of the Wild, and I think it was around when Breath of the Wild came out. Like a lot of these memes were coming up, but like Ganondorf or not Ganondorf, uh, Zelda was like you know holding Ganon Calamity Ganon back during the whole time right. that you know you're asleep and that you're trying to wake up and and do all the the divine beasts and stuff like that. So you know to hear your story, it's. It, it always it reminds me of how um, like how much of an effect that has and how good it is. And she's always been just a figurehead for me, just because of the fact that yeah, she understands there are limits to her power, but she uses she uses her abilities to the best that she can. And you know, growing up when I was told always told that. It, by society that I was less because of, you know, what I was born, being born a female. It was so amazing to finally see this character in a video game that I would come to love so much. Just be able to say, no, nah, I got this. You go deal with that now. How beautiful was that chic reveal for you? Oh, my God. It was so great. <laughs> It was it was fantastic. It was just like yes, Sheik is a girl. I'd like to think that uh, <laughs> that she could have eventually, you know, set things right without Link's help. Link just happened to be there. Yeah, you yeah. can really argue that Link made it worse. I, I think Sheik was just kind of like bound by this. Oh, it's the prophecy. It's you know this is destined to happen kind of thing, and only the hero is supposed to defeat Ganondorf. But yeah, I, I'm of the opinion too that like if Sheik really wanted to, she could have done it. Could have just, you know, yeah. Just Easy. like, nope, never mind with prophecy. Before we do a deep dive into the story here, um, let's talk about just some functional stuff for a quick second here. Innovations that Ocarina of Time made, I think people take for granted that this was the first game that did a lot of this stuff. 
Um, Z-targeting. It seems so simple to this day, but that wasn't a thing before Ocarina of Time came out. And, and that's probably the biggest single innovation that this game did. And, it, and it's funny to see how it became an industry standard almost overnight. I, I mean, yeah. every <laughs> game used Z-targeting. Or, or target lock. Yeah, target yeah. lock of yeah. sorts. It was such a such a simple thing too. Like it, it, it's one thing when you realize that oh we never had this before, but then you know when you do have it, and then you think about it as like why wasn't this a thing before? It's such a it, it seems so obvious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. In hindsight, twenty twenty. Um, yeah, and, and so I mean, almost instantaneously, every single three D game that that wasn't like a Mario esque style of platformer had target locking um and even even going back and playing mario 64 you're just like oh my god i wish that like the camera controlled like ocarina of time you know so i mean that that was just such such a like industry shaking innovation right there contact sensitive buttons Uh, you, you pretty much had buttons before this that was like your talk button and then your your punch button and then your jump button or whatever ocarina of time was really the first game and maybe there are other games out there that have done this but i can't think of them it was really the first game that you know the context of your button would change depending on what you were doing so you could walk up to a door and it would say open you could walk up to someone who would say talk you could walk up to someone and say pick up whatever it was it was really the first game that i can remember that did this and and again industry standard overnight and to be perfectly honest, like, I didn't really appreciate that until much later, just because I didn't have nearly as much experience in in games. I think it's definitely something that happens when, like, you're just thinking, you're taking a step back from the game and thinking about it, because when you're actually playing it... You don't notice I it. I don't think a lot of those things just come up. It's just like you... You're enjoying the game, you're lost in the moment, and then after you're done playing, you think to yourself, like, whoa, wait a minute, you know, I'm not used to all this mm-hmm. stuff being in there, and it's really cool. It's one of those things that you almost take for granted while you're playing it, and you're right, you kind of have to take a step back to say, like, wow, like, this this is so obvious. It's it's such an obviously good idea and a, and a best practice that it's just, it's amazing that games didn't do this before, and... You know, Mario Mario 64 is one of the great games of all time and obviously really trailblazed the world of, of 3D games. But I think that Ocarina of Time just perfected it. Oh, know? yeah, absolutely. Um, and it perfected it in, in such a way that, I mean, like, realistically, it took Zelda games almost 20 years to, to shake away from the foundation that Ocarina of Time laid. Well, even, and even you can see, even you can see shades of Ocarina of Time and Breath of the Wild. Oh yeah, and that's uh, that's exactly what I was about to say. Is like you know, it <laughs> we use that term "shake off" very lightly or loosely because you know it's still very much present, and its influence. And it's not just like Zelda games either. It's you know every video game out there in some way you can say draws every a little game. bit from from ocarina in some way some shape like go, it's go play metroid prime now and, yeah. and notice how how 
structurally similar it is to Ocarina of Time. It's funny that we were talking about uh, Stan Lee earlier because I feel that Ocarina of Time, in its own way, was almost as influential as him in some regards. Like with the with the way that it's just changed the industry as a whole, and the fact that twenty you know two decades later, Ocarina's effects are still being felt. If you're making a Mount Rushmore of video games, Ocarina of Time is definitely on there. I I think that this is probably the most one of the most important games ever made um just in terms of you know it's 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 innovations and it's really how it made the quality of life playing video games that much better for almost every game to come i mean day and night cycles did any game have this before i don't i I don't think so someone out there correct me if i'm wrong but like that's another thing it's like ocarina of time did this you walk into that into Hyrule Field and you're like, holy moly! Like the the sun is setting. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's just it, it's so it's so great to see looking back and playing this game. How many things Ocarina of Time did that just are are normal now in everyday games. You wouldn't you wouldn't think twice about them, but like. Ocarina of Time did that. It, it paved the way for all this different stuff. So. It's magical. Really, it, it, honestly, that's that's a great word for it. Um, from the way that it implemented 3D items to the way that it implemented how you jumped to how you moved. It's... Well, and I would, you know, I would almost venture to guess what, what can you say? how many people playing games now, how many people coming into the industry now do you think actually realize where all of these come from? Like some of these, like we were talking about Z targeting, how many people do you think actually realize where Z targeting like really became a thing? They don't, they're, they're just, I feel, I feel like if you're a game developer, you probably need to pay your respects to Ocarina of Time. Sure. As a developer, but I'm, I'm talking about just like the layman player. No. Yeah, as Joe Schmo, probably not. I don't. I don't know about that. I think that, like, a good chunk of current gamers are between the ages of twenty and forty right now, and you have you definitely have that large demographic of younger gamers who've just kind of gotten into this into series in general, whether it's Zelda or you know Fortnite, whatever, who obviously won't get that. But I I think a significant portion of the of gamers at the very least, have played Ocarina, and if you were to point out certain things, they would be able to instantly say, oh, yeah, yeah, I see that, and I, I, I get that, I understand. Yeah, but are they going to immediately, like, think of that, or do you have to point it out, is my point. I think that would vary from person to person. That's fair. As, as long as they don't think that uh, Twilight Princess invented target locking and stuff. Oh, God. Hey, that was a lot of people's first Zelda game. Let's let's not get into the Twilight Princess. This is about Ocarina. Oh, I think I think I would roll over in my grave and and die if I heard that. Yeah, but that, yeah, uh, you know, no thanks. I like Twilight Princess. Let's uh, <laughs> let's talk about the story here. Um, Zelda games are obviously not they're not typically known for their story. They're they're known more so for the great puzzles, the great gameplay. Um, I, I wouldn't say. 
I wouldn't even say that the story in Ocarina of Time is, is anything, you know, fantastic. It, it's not going to match the story of a game like Metal Gear Solid or Final Fantasy. Let's just put it that way. There is there is something so, to me, there's something so simple and pure about this story that, that makes it just kind of stand above, you know, all definitely all of the other Zelda games for me, with the exception of maybe Skyward Sword, and uh, it, it it's almost like it's almost like a Disney movie in in some sense to me because it's like you know the stories in those movies they're predictable they're you know they're not, they're not industry shaking but they're they're told in such a in such a pure way that it's like they stand the test of time and that's really how I feel about Ocarina of Time story. Simple and pure, I think, is the perfect perfect description for it. I I can't really describe it any better it's it's one of those stories that while you know doesn't doesn't have all that much you know under the surface that's directly presented to you but it's structured in a way to where any almost anybody can understand it you know whether you're you know seven years old or you know 400 years old you you understand the story you you know where it's going and you can get invested in it you can be a part of it and it's it's just one of those things that that really struck me while playing the game Uh, again because you know I was identifying with the character I was playing as I was putting myself I was able to put myself in his shoes and you know, learn from all those adventures from, you know, the the story of Ocarina of Time is very much Link learning how to be a hero, going through trials and tribulations, and then facing his demons and and saving the day. So it was very much a, a life allegory for me. That's kind of where I was going with it is I'm not, and I'm not going to discount any other game's story one way or another, like strictly talking about Ocarina. That was... I think that was the whole reason I fell in love with the story as it was because it basically put the player in the game and it wasn't it wasn't necessarily just Link's story it became yours it became this great fantastic adventure that you got to go on and you got to make it into what you wanted if you were just there to play through the dungeons to play from you know, beginning to end, that's cool. That's what you made it. But I went into it and got this amazing story because I wanted it. I wanted it to be this amazing story. So I was able to actually create, I guess, not necessarily create, but like I was able to actually get more out of it and see this fantastic epic adventure and feel like it became part of my life it became my story it became you know my tale of becoming a hero and I think that's kind of why I'm, I'm so like attached to the story and I will never say it was you know basic it was uh it wasn't anything to write home about because to me it was something to write home about it was something that I was able to make personal well, just because a story is simple doesn't make it bad. Like it's some of the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stories I don't, I don't want to. I don't things. want anyone to take that in a negative connotation because it's not. Yeah, um, no, simple. Is I, best I agree sometimes. with what you said. 
I, th- I think the word that you were looking for was projecting and how you're yeah. projecting yourself on him because I did the exact same thing. Um, and, and it, you know, it, it, you brought up like uh, some people played this game just to play the dungeons and, and complete the story. And I think that that was me when I started this game. I, I played this game just to just to play it just because I wanted to play a video game. You and know did you I mean? find yourself changing while you played yes. it? a hundred percent and and that moment at the forest temple was the change that you know that was the moment where i was just like this is incredible this is my story this is you know i have to save hyrule no one else is going to do it if if i don't do it It was the Um, moment andy became a man (laughs) oh (laughs) seriously like like it, it was like it was like watching someone else play the game i was like this is up to me like i i have to brave this dungeon and i have to i have to do this so uh, you know what I think that that's that's such a good way to put it. How you know you, you kind of morph from just playing a video game to finish it to living a video game and experiencing mm-hmm. it. So you talked so, earlier about you know the music and how it affected you when entering this this forest temple the the beat the do 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 kind of thing like you know and. I, that was I, saw, such... I was just about to do those like those weird cries that they right? did. But I'll spare everybody that. <laughs> so it was basically like, and this was one of the first games, you know, apart from Final Fantasy at the time, that was kind of turning video game soundtracks into almost orchestral levels of of production, and to hear that kind of that kind of implementation that 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 feel that the song was just not part of the background it was actually you know part of the story you know mm-hmm. you know what was that like what was it how how did it affect uh, your this... your opinion of the game and how you progressed through it let's merge these two topics together here kind of the story and the music because like you say they almost go hand mm-hmm. in hand um, the music was what made the forest temple for me. It, it was that rising and falling and, and rising and falling of the, of the synth. And it, it was just like, wow, this is just incredible. And it, you know, I, I mean, obviously everybody that everybody knows what a great soundtrack Ocarina of Time had, but it's just, it's the way that it used music, like walking into Ganon's castle and how it rises and rises as you climb higher in that tower. And then um, only to find him actually playing his own damn theme. <laughs> yeah, what, what a moment that was! He's uh, so meta. I was gonna, you know, I was gonna ask you, like, you guys, what are some of your favorite story moments? I think probably all of us will say, like, seeing him playing that orchestra, like that was that was pretty powerful stuff. You know, Kevin comes to mind because he would he would probably say it's vintage Ganon right there, just <laughs> <laughs> playing his own theme. Um. And, you know, the way that they use music in the game to, I don't know, maybe, maybe this is just me talking, talking on my ass here, but like the, some of the, some of the way that the, uh, that the Ocarina songs played to me kind of seemed to fit the mood of the particular section that you were going to. Like, I, I always remember playing and getting the Serenade of Water and that, that awesome moment where you're playing with Sheik and, you know. It's just this amazing cutscene of the ice and all that, and it it really summed up like it really spoke to me like the condition that Zora's domain was in, and how it was this sad tune. There's all this ice and stars, and I don't know. It, it was yeah, that was a great moment to me too. 
So the music, you were talking about the Ice Cavern and, you know, Sheik showing up with the, you know, after you get the Iron Boots and how, you know, that music is just, it's so beautiful and it's so, it's almost ephemeral in it, in its nature. And, you know, that, that whole fantasy-esque Ice Cavern, you know, I, the, the right word escapes me at the moment, but kind of like the, the bah, bah, kind of thing. And then you have the serenade of water, which is just this flowing piece of, you know, organic music that just kind of brings, you know, the emotion of what Sheik and, and Link are talking about in that moment. And I think that applies to really all the the dungeon songs or the warp songs ask that you that you learn uh, from from Sheik. So it's it's such a great implementation. I think really any of those moments with Sheik are just these amazing story moments and character moments where you see Sheik and Link together in one moment of harmony and it's completely revolving around the music, around this very staple aspect of the game and it's them together perfectly and it's, it's just this beautiful characterization moment between the two of them. I don't know. I, I always kind of I'm putting a I'm putting a gun to your guys' head. What's your f- absolute favorite track from Ocarina of Time? Spirit Temple. The theme to the Spirit Temple. It was a That's a good, that's a good pick. It was sultry boom, and ethereal boom. and like Yeah. It was beautiful. I th- uh, I hate you, Andy. I hate when you do this. <laughs> um It's so hard to pick. Like there are so many good tunes. Um, I would say it's a toss-up between the Song of Time and the Forest Temple for me. Both of the both of those tracks are no, just you have to pick one. Fantastic. Um, to, well, I'll be one. different then, and I'll because I know you're gonna pick the Forest Temple theme, so I'm gonna <laughs> go with Song of Time. Like that whole the the whole almost Gregorian esque chant. That, that was my in, favorite. In the temple and of Time. That was my favorite until I got to the Spirit Temple was the song of time and like it just it it feels like it's a a song of time it feels like you know that it has that power to it and then you know it's such a timeless tune Mm -hmm. in fact very (laughs) timeless i see what you did there yeah it it feels very religious to me which i think is what yes yeah yes um okay so obviously the the forest temple is my favorite so i'm not going to say that but uh you know it's my favorite but I think my second favorite is the uh, the Deku Tree theme when you're inside the Deku Tree. It's such a cool, oh, like, that's uh, a good ambient one. theme. Um, I don't think it gets a lot of love, but it, like, I love it. And every time you find a, a secret grotto or something like that, and that theme is playing, it's just uh, it really adds to it adds to the ambiance. I think that's um, a very interesting choice. I I really yeah, I actually I applaud you for that. I don't think it that. gets a lot. It doesn't get enough love as much as it should. I don't think. I put that yeah, on my uh, music list when we made that back in February as well, actually. Um, so just uh, just circling back to the story here, we're going to finish this off for just a quick second. What What's the moment in this game for you? What's What's the moment? Hmm. The moment. So... The absolute pinnacle moment of Ocarina of Time. Damn. I'm going to go. Can I do a two-parter? If you if you guys don't have an answer, I've got an answer for you. 
No, I got a two-parter answer. All right, go ahead, Taylor. So the first part is um, when you ascend those steps. When you ascend the steps of, of Ganon's castle and you slowly hear that theme just get louder and louder as you go up and then you fight, you know, the Stalfos, the the uh, Denolfos and, and the Iron Knuckles, and you finally get up to Ganon's room and you have that final confrontation, you know, that, you know, you can't handle this power kind of thing, and then the him playing his own theme, and then you go into that fight, and, you know, he, he's so powerful that he blocks off Navi's assistance, and you're literally on your own for the first time in this game. And you've got to make it work. And Ganon's just doing his cackle, his 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 laugh, and then <laughs> you know, and then he just drops to the ground to shatter the the floor, and goes ah, and you're just you're in it to win it. And then the second part is when he transforms for the first time, chronology chronologically in the series into Ganon using the Triforce of Power, and that that. That version of Ganon is my absolute favorite. The double swords. Yeah, excited to see that coming back as his final smash. Like that. <laughs> right? Yes. I, I think that version of Ganon is way better than Beast Ganon from Twilight Princess. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's just, he looks like this giant demon pig mm-hmm. wielding dual swords. And, like, that final fight is just, it's, it's so good. It's so simple, like, you know, now that we've done it as a speedrunner kind of thing. But... It's it's still an epic fight to me. It's it's still better than Breath of the Wilds again. All right. No no negativity. Close your eyes Sorry. and imagine this scene. This is the moment for me in this game. Um, and it comes shortly after the Forest Temples, obviously. You're you're at that bridge connecting you from uh, Kokiri Forest to Hyrule Field. But close your eyes. You've just finished the Forest Temple. And you talk to Soraya. She is the sage of the forest. She gives you the medallion. And the screen flashes bright white. And it says something to the effect of Soraya will always be your friend. And that was the moment to me. Because I was just like, I was like, oh man, like I I feel gutted now. Because like, it's this, it's this girl that Link obviously cares deeply about and vice versa that, uh, you know, fate has kind of uh, separated them and, and made them walk down different paths. And I, I think that's a theme that you see in the Zelda series a lot. But looking back, that was the first time that I really, you know, I really saw that. And I was, I felt so, I felt so awful for Link and for Sarai that they, like, they couldn't be together because Destiny is telling them, like, no, you have to go here and you have to stay here. So that was the moment for me. The only reason that isn't my moment is because I still have PTSD about that moment. That like, was a heartbreaking God, that was, moment. Uh, just, just the way, like dot dot dot, your friend. Oh, I'll always <laughs> be your friend. Yeah, so that that's it for me. The onion ninja. That whole forest temple sequence was just so so good. I, I feel like there's just this crew of ninjas just waiting for everybody they to are. get to that point. And when they got we're talking the about this ready, game, you know, they're ready to go. Okay, cat, gun to your head. What's the moment? So, I kind of, while I was sitting there thinking, okay, can I come up with a more defining moment for me than the one I already talked about when Zelda turns around and you first see her? And I did. And, uh, again, 
considering my my personal relation and my thoughts about uh, about her as a character was the moment you found out she was the Sage of Time, and all of a sudden, like like you had all of these characters leading up to it, and she was the one that had to bring them all together, like Link and Lo- uh, awakened them, and she brought them all together, and basically led like created this massive path for you to follow and it was just this it was again going back to the whole feeling of empowerment you had to that point where she was dealing with what she could and then she as Sheik revealed herself to be Zelda and then the moment where she was brought on as the Sage of Time and it was just like yes absolutely finally yes this and I'm, I'm trying to think of another moment that I haven't already kind of talked about, but I don't have one. Like, Can, can I ask you guys a question? Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you first played this game, did you see it coming that Sheik was Zelda? I didn't. I actually, I remember, I remember playing and uh, I was just like, you know, when, when they started talking about the Triforce, my... My brain's obviously like, okay, well, obviously Link has one, Ganon has one, and Zelda has one. So when Sheik, who I assumed was just going to be this kind of supporting character, put up her hand and the Triforces are, I was like, holy cow, like, who is this Sheik guy? <laughs> and I'd like that was like the most incredible five seconds before, you know, you, you actually get the reveal that Sheik is Zelda. But I was just like, this Sheik, this Sheik is going to be someone like spectacular, like, wow. I feel like if I ha- if I wasn't eight at the time, I probably might have seen it coming because there are a few clues in the game. But like when you're when I was playing it in the moment and I was going through each scene with Sheik, like I was not focused on who the heck this guy was. I was like trying to, you know, pay attention to what he was saying and what uh, what was going on. So then eventually, when he reveals himself to be Zelda, and all of a sudden, like. You know, Sheik, Sheik has been with us all the time, and and we've been we've been kind of running into each other, and she's now, you know, given us all these songs and kind of guided us to our final point of power and our final point of the journey. It was, it was like one of the early M Night Shyamalan twists when they actually used to be good. <laughs> and, you know, I was struck by it, and I was like, "This is awesome! This is amazing!" So for me, my story with Ocarina, and I figured I'd kind of touch on it in a little bit when we talked a little bit more about dungeons, but I'll say it now. Um, To be perfectly honest, it took me a very long time to even complete this game. Um, I started playing, well, like I said, I started playing when I was like 12 or 14. I didn't finish it. I got so mad at one point. Um, during the water temple that I put the game down for 10 years. Ah. That's not a joke. I did not finish it until I was in my mid twenties. And so by that point, it it must've been spoiled for you by then. It was, yeah, I, I already knew, but like, there's still something so fantastic about actually seeing it. Like I knew the story. I knew everything about Ocarina because despite the fact that I put the game down for so long I still loved it and I still wanted to know everything about it just because I couldn't actually like get to that point 
uh, or get past that point in the water temple, I still needed to, I needed to know everything about it. Um, you know, I, so, I might call you out here, Taylor. I, I can't think of any signs that really foreshadowed that Sheik would have been Zelda, aside from maybe that gossip stone that said that Zelda was a tomboy. Um, uh, am I, am I missing something? There's that gossip stone, but like, it, it's something that's a lot, I think it becomes obviously more obvious in, in hindsight, but like, the fact that this Sheik character knows pretty much everything about you, knows that or not I mean not everything about you but like knows who you are knows everything about what you're supposed to do knows all of these different you know prophecies these different magical songs you know he uses a harp to to teach you all these things which which kind of has and this is something that's more obvious in hindsight because it becomes kind of like Zelda's preferred instrument almost in, in hindsight but, yes but i was, I was yeah. just trying to think right like, you you actually no, don't but I, see zelda with a harp in this game um like zelda herself honestly well, like the you, only you would argue that you do because zelda is chic but oh, okay i'm sorry let me you. You, you don't see <laughs> zelda before chic with a harp like you, like right impa teaches you the song like zelda doesn't teach you that on a harp or anything like that was my point well, Impa t- teaches you Zelda's lullaby, but Sheik teaches you pretty much every other song in the game, almost. Right, right. But um, I, it's just, it's one of those things again. Like maybe if I was older and I was paying a lot of attention, I was saying, wait a minute, and asking questions like, why does Sheik know this? You know, where would Sheik have learned this? You know, what is what is all these pieces? And the fact that like, uh, I'm trying to remember what Impa says, but Impa says something too that that struck me as odd, but well, you, you um, don't even talk to Impa before. I guess you talked to her actually before the Sheik reveal. I'm sorry. You talked <laughs> to her. Be- yeah. You talked to her twice before the Sheik reveal when she teaches you Zelda's lullaby. And then again, when uh, you rescue her from the shadow temple or sorry, awaken her from the shadow temple. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I think you could piece it together ha- if you had no knowledge of the, the I, I reveal beforehand. Could. I don't think you but could either. it would either. be very difficult. I think, I think that we're looking at it with hindsight. With hindsight, exactly. knowing everything that we know. I don't think you actually could. But who else in the game, when you're thinking about it, who else in the game would know what Sheik knows? Not Well, who's to why say Why would Zelda know all that stuff? Exactly. Only because, her, like, twice. Because... because because A, she has the Triforce of Wisdom, which is the only Triforce piece missing, and we all suspected Zelda of having it when we were playing the game. You you admitted that already. Yes. So, you know, the it's called the Triforce of Wisdom, you know? you. I, I think that if they revealed Sheik to have the Triforce of Wisdom and then didn't immediately tell you that she was Zelda after, then, uh, then maybe you could have been like, okay, well, she's probably Zelda. Yeah. Well, I I but, think the opposite. I think if I think if she didn't reveal herself in that moment, but did reveal that she has a triforce of wisdom, it actually might have you know made you think twice about you know who who she might be like. Maybe oh, is this a character even more important than Zelda? Is this a character who you know has some really deep connection to the royal family? You know, besides being a Sheikah. I don't know. I, I, think I, that, I think that would have made me uh, second guess Sheik's like identity if if she was to be 
if there was more time in between revealing that she had the Triforce of Wisdom and then that she was in fact Zelda. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting to think about though. I, you know, I wish I could experience that again and play this game, not knowing that, and uh, and and try and look for clues about who the heck Sheik is. I wish I, you know, I, we need those little things that they have in Men in Black. Eraser. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, the memory the eraser flasher. things. <laughs> All right, so Kat, you mentioned the Water Temple. Yes. And how uh, it, the Water Temple is legendary in its in its difficulty. Um, we're running a bit long here, but. We can't talk about Ocarina of Time without talking about the dungeons. Um, what made them work? You know, why are these, in my opinion, still the best collective set of dungeons in this series? Well, for one thing, you've got two different ways of tackling them. You've got um, the child portion, which has to go through three kind of like warm-up episodes or warm-up dungeons mm-hmm. for the main content of the game. Training wheels. And it kind of, yeah, it kind of, they all kind of teach you what what to expect. Like, you're going to have a dungeon item that's going to be crucial. And I mean, obviously, Link to the Past did this too back in the day, but like you get a, di- you get a dungeon item, you know, it's going to be crucial to completing that dungeon or beating that boss or whatever. And... You know, you go through these segments, you go through the first half of the dungeon without the item, and then you get the item and you do the last half. And you get used to that and you understand, okay, these are these are going to be good puzzles. It's going to take a little bit of work, but once I get that item, you know, everything's going to start opening up in the dungeon. It's kind of that that reward feeling that once you get it, you know, the, the world is your oyster. And then the bosses are fantastic. I would think... If you were to ask me what made these dungeons work, I think that the first thing I would say is the themes. So each dungeon has its own theme. And and this is more true when you get to the adult portion. But even in the Mm -hmm. child portion, there are theme dungeons. And with that theme, I think it really just helps them be distinctive and unique. Um, yeah, we've, we've talked about the music, but I think the music really, really helps. I would say the spirit temple and forest temple in particular. Um, those are my two favorite dungeons. And I think not coincidentally, those have the two best, you know, dungeon themes. Um, there's something, there's something just so timeless about these, these designs though. Um, I think the items that you get are, are paced out really well. I think that, you know, the items that you get are actually useful in in future dungeons and and everything kind of has a purpose and you don't get anything just once for the sake of getting it, like in in Ladder of Zelda games where maybe you have an an item, you use it for like 20 minutes, then you never use it again. Um, True. But yeah, I I think that that's it. Like it's, it's the theme and it's the different, it's the unique distinct personality of each dungeon that I think really makes them hold up. I like, I, I would say this is, this is the greatest collection of dungeons still in Zelda 20 years later. I would, I would completely agree that I think that was what set it apart for me as well was the themes. And there were a couple of, I mean, looking back, there are a couple of them that I, I know I really, really enjoyed and a couple that I didn't enjoy so much, obviously, the Water Temple, but like even 
the fire temple. And I think the whole reason I didn't enjoy it goes back to the theme of fire was the fact that it ultimately I'm terrified of fire. So it got a lot of gut reaction out of me. And so I think that's why they stood out. And I would agree. These are like, that's, that's what made them. And that's what makes them to this day, the best collection of dungeons the Zelda series has seen. Let's, let's talk about the water temple just for a quick sec. Bleh. Is, is this dungeon still <laughs> as bad as we remember it? So when I started it, I started it on the N64 and I got to the point in the water temple where I quit in on the N64. I haven't gone back to try and play it again on the N64. I've played it on my 3DS and it's not as bad as I remember. <laughs> But I think that's because well, they realized that it was so difficult and they went back and yeah, they, they definitely made some serious improvements. And I think it was just because of the difficulty and just because they were answering the fans and, you know, everybody's I beef was with that temple. Water temple was, was such an issue for people because it was kind of like the, the first time they didn't hold your hand. You know, we... <laughs> Well, not even that they didn't hold your hand, but it was like the first time in games, really, where they presented a, you know, a puzzle such as that and where it's like you get a key, you open a door and then you realize, oh, I need another key. You know, I need something else in order to, to get through here. Whereas like in the forest and the fire temple... The Forest Temple, you could argue that there was kind of like a, a preliminary experience of that, you know, especially with the twisty, windy hallways. But like the Fire Temple and the Forest Temple were fairly straightforward. The Water Temple, you're going up, down, all the way around, through the bombed wall and out the town. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, whoa. Hold on, my brain is still trying to figure out why I have to go up, then I have to lower the water level, then I have to raise the water level, then I have to go down, and then I have to do that again. And it's it was such a mind-blowing experience at When, first when I played the that... game, I had no idea how to raise the water or lower the water. I, I didn't even think to play um, the lullaby at those, at those yeah. little... Yeah, that one took plaques. me a while. Um, in the 3DS version, definitely definitely showed you like okay this is where you need to be to to play that but when you played the n64 version like it just looked like a wall with a little triforce mm -hmm. mat on the bottom it was super easy to miss um so i i definitely i feel that it, that that could be frustrating and it, if we're being honest like probably equipping and unequipping the sealed boots is, is probably the worst part about the original ocarina of time oh yeah mm -hmm. for sure you know Having that was def that, that was definitely a pain in the time. ass but uh you know, obviously not that much of a pain in the ass for us. I mean, nowadays, like, again, having now spe uh, speed r sped run? Speed run? Sp having run sped the game run, really fast. <laughs> um, <laughs> having run the game really fast now, like, I think... And, of course, this is, again, this is also hindsight. We've played this game how many freaking times? And we've done this temple how many freaking times? So, like, we're we're used to the the monotony of it so to speak but like there are still times even even when when speed running the game where i enter the water temple and i just feel that anxiety come up because i'm just like mm, i know i'm gonna forget one key or i'm gonna forget one thing and then i'm gonna spend like three minutes looking for it oh it, it definitely <laughs> has a presence to it 
Yeah. Right? I, I was joking around with a friend the other day. I was like, man, speedrunning Ocarina of Time is rough, and it's only rough for one reason, because when I get into the Water Temple, I know if I screw up one thing, that's a run reset right there. It's not to earn. You know, that's the Shadow Temple for me. I always mess up with the Shadow Temple. Like, always. Oh, really? Always. What, what about the Shadow Temple? It's at that one part when you're riding the boat. And oh, oh yeah. the Stalfos. The two Stalfos come down, and they like they they kick the shit on me every time. It's brutal. And then like I I think I barely made it off the boat, and then I went to Bongo Bongo, and he just like slaughtered me. Destroyed. That, that was that was my hardest part. Um, you, what's your you what's your favorite dungeon? Utilize Deku nuts. Yeah, Deku strats, nut strats. But favorite dungeon in this game? What is it and why? Ooh, that's tough. I liked um, I liked the Spirit Temple. Again, I'm going back to it. A lot of it may have had to do with the music, but I actually really liked being able to play with the light. I liked being yeah, able I, to angle really it liked... and direct it, and it just it was one of the most fascinating and most fun puzzle sets for me. That was I loved a cool it. moment at the end where you shoot the light into the guy's face and it. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I think the Spirit Temple probably also had the best boss fight as well. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. I really liked Bongo Bongo. He was fun. Bongo but Bongo I do beat agree. me so bad. I do agree. Spirit Temple had a lot going for it. And I think... I think ultimately I would have to pick that as well. But I will say that the Forest Temple is like a half a step away from beating it. Like, it's so good and such a great introduction into what you know, playing as as teen slash adult Link is going to be like. Like, you know, you're getting your first experience of dungeons as, you know, his older form and being able to do a whole bunch of new things, and now you're getting a whole new set of items because you can only use a couple from when you were a kid. So, and, and, and honestly, Phantom Ganon is also one of my favorite fights in, in Ocarina Yeah, of that's time. a good fight. That is a good fight. I will also um, so, say. No, I would say it's a tie. Obviously, obviously, the fire or not the fire temple, the uh, the forest temple is my favorite. But I I did want to give a shout out to the fire temple. Um, I you know I think I kind of sleep on how great this dungeon is a lot of the time, and I was playing yeah. it at the marathon, and I, you know, I really like that dungeon in its kind of labyrinth setup. Um, I think that there's a lot of really cool rooms in that dungeon, cool fights. Uh, it's got a great boss battle, and the Megaton Hammer is really cool. And, you know, when you hear, at least in our circle, when we hear people talk about great dungeons, the Fire Temple doesn't come up. And, uh, you know, I just I wanted to give it a shout-out. You know, it's not as flashy as the Spirit Temple. It doesn't have the same great music as the Forest Temple, but it is a very, very solid dungeon. And then last time I was playing it, I was just like, man, I... I really like this dungeon, and and I don't know why it doesn't get more love. So no, you you you're absolutely right. I think one of the only problems that the Fire Temple had was was its music, and that wasn't really any fault of its own. It was just kind of a the th- the original theme that they had. So if you had the original original first versions of of the game, I believe that that theme was still in effect. Uh, as was the the original e- emblem. Even even the original the theme is is a little bit. Uh... I liked it. 
like again, it comes back it, to it's that not, chanting it's not that on I really par liked in... with the Forest Temple or the Spirit Temple, though. No, I, I no, but it was it was still a pretty solid theme. Yeah, I, I'm just sad that they they had to remove it, and I understand why, and I get it. But it was it was a good theme, and it, and it worked really well in that temple. I thought. Now, if we're talking. I do have to say one thing. If we're if we're giving shout outs here, especially shout outs to like bigger battles and boss battles, I do have to say, can 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 I take a moment to talk about Dead Hand? Because that scared the ever living oh, yeah. crap. No, out we, of we me. don't talk about him on this show. Oh Yeah. PTSD. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> for sure no, on that one. I just remember the first Creepy time he bastards. grabbed my hand or grabbed my head and like I saw those hands coming for me and I'm just like what nope 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 I that was oh, me. I, I literally did like put down my controller and walk away I had to I couldn't do it Have you seen all the fan art of that character Yes and he's horrifying They have turned that into <laughs> an even bigger nightmare mm-hmm. and I didn't think that was possible like holy crap uh, so yeah, we were talking about this not that long ago when the uh, when he ugh, those things just grab your head and then he slowly just slugs his way just towards inches you. towards ah. you. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, he's. he's I mean, we don't talk about dead hands on this show. All right, before before we kind of wrap it up here, let's let's put a bow on the dungeons here. You can be the sage of one dungeon. What's it gonna be? Are you the tranquil type? that uh, would reside over the forest mysterious type that would pick shadow what's it gonna be you guys obviously i would mind, be so. right i would be the water water temple because for me i'm i like to just flow kind of through life as you know go with the flow see see where life takes me but at the same time like i know life can be really really chaotic and in those moments, I just thrive, just just like water does in, in a typhoon, or just like water does in a in its great waves. So, uh, I would definitely. How, how definitely long ago did you write this answer, Taylor? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, about mm, twenty four seconds, he's, give or take. He's been saving this for years. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, marked the checkbox off. Yes, I got to declare it. Yep, done that. Bucket list complete. Cat, I see you. I see you as shadow. Am I right? Am I wrong? shadow for me that's that's what i that's what i see i no, she's the arbiter <laughs> yeah were it so easy um i actually was kind of wondering does it have to necessarily be a dungeon or can it just be a temple in general because i would have liked to have picked the temple of time and that's, it's that's just that, that, yeah you can take yeah light. that's that's identified it's just because we'll allow that of... here on the champions cast I'd like to Side be able bar. to control I'll that. I'll allow it. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I'd prefer to be because, you know, I can, I can take control to a point, and there are just certain things that happen that can't be avoided, and there are certain things that you can control. I'd like to be able to control time to, the past, present, and future, so I can basically just know my past. Uh, to influence my future or influence my future yeah i'll try i'll try before i met i'm gonna before i i'm gonna pick light because i know that i am the light of your guys's life oh my can we end this now how long have you been waiting to say that like (laughs) thanks everybody for listening i've been sitting on that one for years yeah Oof. all right damn man let's 
Let's bring it home here. Let's talk about Ocarina of Time and its legacy. In my opinion, this is still, 20 years later, the greatest video game ever made. What? Yeah. And, and I know that you guys feel the same. What is it about Ocarina of Time that 20 years later still makes it the greatest video game that we have ever played? What I is think, it for you guys? I think it was the moment that I realized that it's my story. It's the moment I was able to step into Link uh, into his shoes and turn. it was the first time I'd ever been able to turn it into my story, to have this grand adventure be my own. Yeah, I'm going to ignore the fact that the game is just phenomenal on a mechanic level and, you know, story level and a musical level and just go with the fact that, like, you know, as cheesy as it sounds, this game saved my life. And it it made me a better person. It made me who I am today. And it it brought so much light into my life at a time where I was kind of just surrounded by, by darkness that it, there, there's, it's a shorter list to say what this game didn't do for me than it is to say what it did. So, uh, I love this game. I will always love it. It will always be the greatest game of all time. And if you haven't played it already, definitely should. Yeah. What can you say? This is this is the game that uh, made me a quote unquote gamer. I played video games before, never really appreciated them as anything more than than video games. Um, video games became art to me after playing this. They were uh, they were an escape. They were my lifelong passion. I you know video games is my passion, and Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time is the 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 gateway game if you will that opened up that door um one of the first moments i can remember you know really getting emotionally invested into a game and feeling like i was participating in the story rather than just playing behind a controller so i i, I think for all of those reasons and and more you know you can go down the list. This game plays amazing. This game has the best set of dungeons. It has an amazing soundtrack. All of that factors into it, but um, to echo what you guys said, it's it's what the game meant to me personally growing up, and, and that's why it will always be my favorite. I think if you look at this objectively, you can take all the things that we just said, the dungeons, the music, the gameplay, the innovations... It still ranks among the greatest games ever. I think also just one of the one of the greatest things to come of Ocarina of Time is the fact that you can have three people who are very, very different from one another, who have very different opinions in a lot of different regards, but who who all three love this game. And it's not just us three too, it's like everybody who's ever played this game ever, mm -hmm. you know, have such wildly different opinions, but you know, we all love this game, but we all love it for very personal and different reasons, as you said. And it's it's always interesting to hear, you know, the, those differences. And, you know, everybody says, yeah, it's got great gameplay. It's got great music. It's got all things. But there's always something 
something very personal, so, something very deep. That brought it I home found. for every single individual. That, yeah, that brought it home. Like it, it's not just the fact that it's a great game; it's the fact that it did something for someone. You know, no matter what it is, whether it's you know bringing me out of a of a depressing period or you know helping helping Cat find her adventure in life uh, or or Andy in, in becoming a gamer and, and and realizing it as as an art form as opposed to just a game so it's it's wonderful and to anyone looking still if you're to look at a site like Metacritic it's the number one game of all time which I think is very appropriate uh, we ranked it number one this year on our best sold ever list I think that's very appropriate uh, I don't I don't know that any game could and probably ever will replace this as my favorite game so there you go hard to believe 20 years ago oh green of time now i'm feeling old again uh-huh. thanks andy yep. reminded of my age <laughs> just imagine right, when we're time. imagine Rewind when we're back me. here for the 30th <laughs> anniversary and the 40th oh, oh my god. god so that's uh, we'll be t- We'll be talking about this game until we're like in the retirement. I, I was home. gonna say when we can't we're all... remember pieces of it. We're like back in my day. <laughs> Are we still gonna be doing the Champions Cast when we're all like in the retirement home talking about Ocarina of Time, just in our respective I hope so. cities? Nintendo's definitely gonna outlive <laughs> me. That's gonna put a bow on it for our love letter to the Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time. Uh, thank you guys for uh, for sticking with us. I know that we went long this episode, but uh, hey, it's Ocarina of Time. You know, we uh, we didn't want to cut anything short, and we wanted to pay our respects. So thank you once again for tuning into the Champions Cast. Make sure to head over to iTunes, head over to Podbean, like, subscribe, comment, review, all of that good stuff. We thank you guys for listening. We're going to be out of here for this week. Check us out on Twitter. I'm at Spateri316. He is at GIF underscore Bluehawk. Kat, what the heck is your Twitter again? <laughs> it's Esganacon, E-S-G-A. N I K A N. Yeah, okay. Just just search Cad Vidam. Nobody's going to remember that. That's fair. <laughs> um, yeah, that's going to do it for us this week. I had a really great time talking uh, all things Ocarina of Time with you guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Here's to, uh, here's to that game. Here's to the memories and friendships that it's created. And that is going to do it for us. We're going to leave on that note. Thank you for listening, guys. Have a good one.